What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to or watching as the case may be. Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about understanding Third John, walking or living with God. Walking with God would be fine. Living for God, not with. I looked over there at my television screen, but I can't. I, when I, I, I got to look through my bifocals like this. Cogitations about living for John. Understanding 1 John 3, Season 5, Episode 216. You know, that's crazy. It's 216 episodes in 2023. And uh, we'll see what 24, 24 has in store. I may, I may. There, there, so for a little bit, I just did uh, three episodes a week. I may start doing three episodes a week. I've, I've got, um, the, the longer we're up here, the more success we have in this work, the more and more work I have in local work. I've got a couple of appointments this week. I've got to keep to have some, uh, Tim Horton set down studies with some folks. And, uh, yeah, so it's good. It's a good thing. And, uh, yeah, I guess since I broke the ice on that, uh, we've got 42 seats in the auditorium and with regularity, we are now hitting the mid thirties for folks in attendance. Uh, we just baptized, uh, the other day, one young woman into Christ. We're probably going to get two more to follow off of that. Not two, not in the, not in the, in, in the, in the short distance, in the not too distant future. I'll get it out in a minute. But, uh, anyway, yeah, y'all keep us in your prayers up here. Full transparency. This is a good segue into the podcast. Christianity now is not a work of either the Riverview Church of Christ or the Washington Avenue Church of Christ. Christianity now is the brainchild of Aaron Dotson and Tony Brewer. That's me and my friend Aaron. And we are doing this for profit. Okay? We want you to subscribe to Substack. We want you to uh, send money in the tip jar. Uh, we want you to, um, I'm doing the captions here. Uh, we want you to do uh, Patreon, buy me a coffee, uh, all that good stuff. And it's not that we're trying to make merchandise of you. Uh, we, the labor's worthy of his hire, and you don't muzzle the ox as he, as he treads out the grain. But the reason I'm so blunt about that is because we want to make doubly sure that you know that the support you give us is not going to a congregation. It's it's going to us. It's going in our pockets. And right now we're in the season of growth where we're spending the money that you send us on the brand. Like we're not taking any money personally. So you're you're helping grow this brand. And I will tell you this, we do put out gospel content. We do change hearts and minds. And we reach a lot of people that are not members of the Lord's church but who claim to be Christians. And there's a lot of people who wouldn't normally be exposed to truth, but only do denominational dogma. Because of your monetary support, they are seeing content that is devoid of denominational dogma and is unadulterated truth. 
So that's about all I've got to say about that. Thank you so much. Speaking of support, uh, if you ever have anything that you're going on at the congregation where you are, consider our good friend and sponsor of the show, Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com. Are you part of a congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Well, look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't, this, don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate far and wide. Contact Lindsay Faye Dotson today, and we would love for you to support us by purchasing and trading with her. Now, we'll get the tip jar back up on the screen. The chat's good to see y'all. Good is Wayne Vaughn, Diana Harden, Terry Crooks, Connie Barden, John Exum. Uh, good morning to everybody. So what we've got here is basically, it's almost like a part three. Um, we talked about how it's okay to doubt. Doubts don't equal a lack of faith. Questions don't equal a lack of faith. We talked about uh, walking in the light as he is in the light, how that we don't go from saved to lost, lost to saved. 10 or 15 times a day, and then if you die, it becomes a roll of the dice. Did I pray last or did I sin last? That you can have assurance of your salvation, walking in the light as he is in the light. If you slip, trip, and fall, just get up and keep walking. In fact, there's a song, now that I'm thinking about it, you got to keep walking, brother, keep walking. And I can't remember the rest of it, but I, 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 the, the, I first heard it, uh, the song leader at Bay, Arkansas. Uh, I first heard it whenever he led it. But yeah, you just got to keep walking and you'll not be guilty of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. As long as you're in that flow of blood, you'll never get dirty. Now we come to today. Let's talk about how to remain in the flow of blood. And I think, 1 John chapter 3, there's a lot of misconceptions about it. I have heard 1 John chapter 3, uh, people accuse the King James of, have, of having a Calvinistic slant and bias in its interpretation of 1 John chapter 3. And my response to that is, y'all just don't know grammar. Uh, re, l- r- scrutinize the grammar. Just read the words and look at the grammar, look at the verbs. Look at the verb tense. Look at the look at the uh, figures of speech. Look at the part, part parts of speech, and there will be well, there should be no confusion when it comes to First John chapter three. All right, so let's get into this. I've got a little bit of an outline here. In fact, um, let me see if I think it's prudent to go through. So exegeting, exegeting. What in the world? Exegeting 1 John 3 uh, involves interpreting the text in its own context, focusing on the themes and messages as presented by the author traditionally attributed to the Apostle John. So 1 John chapter 3 is rich in ethical exhortations and theological reflections about the nature of God, the identity of believers, and the implications of living as the children of God. So Let's just, let's just use this outline to walk us down here. 1 John chapter 3, 1 through 3. I'm just going to read it. 
Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. I will tell you this, if I had to label this chapter, I would probably label it something to the effect of uh, your culpability in your Christian walk. You, my brethren, are responsible for your walk. Tony is responsible for Tony's walk. Each individual is responsible for his own walk. But there's good news. It's worth walking. I'm going to read it again. Listen to it. Just lean in and listen. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us? We are the sons of God. Look, if you had a famous father that had a lot of clout, isn't it possible that you would use his name to get some special treatment? Folks, our father is God, the creator of the universe. Now. The world doesn't know us. We're not in fellowship with the world. Why are we? And, and this, this word know, especially with John, John uses the word know as a metaphor or a metonym for um, fellowship. Pardon me, I'm, I'm thirsty. Um, Hello, Gita. Good to see you. And she says, interesting topic. Um, yeah, sanctification, John Exum. Um, sanctification is required of every... Qui- of What in the world? Sanctification is required of every Christian. Now I got it. Uh, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. And um, this goes with purifying ourselves in 1 John 3. Absolutely. And that's the thing. You are responsible for purifying yourself. Listen to the text. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. So it's really cool that we're the sons of God now. However, and and if you're like me and you grew up in the 80s and uh, had your coming of age in the 90s, then you remember the late night infomercials with Billy Mays. It's the sham wow, and if you send us four easy payments of $29.99, we'll send you four sham wows. Now, they're only worth $10 a piece, so you might not think that's a very good deal. But wait, there's more. It's always, but wait, there's more. Well, but wait. So we're the children of God. We're the sons of God and daughters of God now in this world. We have so much privilege and so much physical or spiritual blessings in this life, but wait, there's more. It doth not have yet appear what we shall be. There's a certain amount of, of ignorance about what's going to be on the other side of eternity. But it's okay. We know it's going to be better. We do not yet know what we shall be. But what we do know is when he shall appear, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. 
In other words, and I believe this this is in um harmony. Well, that's a stupid thing to say. I know it's in I know it's in harmony with First Corinthians fifteen, but I believe there's a correlation here between First Corinthians fifteen and our new bodies, our changed bodies, which are physical, by the way. They're changed, just like just like the stalk of corn is the same material as the kernel of corn. Our bodies are different, but they're going to be like Jesus's resurrected body. The same kind of body that Jesus was in, where he could walk up and down the beach, where he could cook fish, where he could eat. We're going to have that same kind of body where we can walk up and down the beach. We can cook fish. We can eat. But we can also apparate and disapparate. If you'll remember what Jesus did in the end of John with his disciples, he just appeared in the middle of them. See, see, it's a body fit for eternity in heaven. See, we don't know exactly how it was going to be, but we know there's a lot of information for 1 Corinthians 15 we can garner. But we know right here from 1 John 3 that we're going to be like him and we'll, see, we'll be able to see him as he is. And if you're in Christ, you have this hope that's in you. And everyone that has this hope in him purifies himself. And how is it? And what's the standard of purity? You are pure just like Jesus is pure. You're innately pure. You're pure because you are the embodiment of pureness in an impure world. I, I think people don't understand the power of the gospel, folks. The power of the gospel is... We're not gifted Jesus' righteousness. We're not clothed in Jesus' righteousness the way the Calvinists teach. We're just righteous innately, intrinsically. Well, how is that? Talk to God. God knows because that's what is taught. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. Think about what Peter wrote about in a house, there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. There's gold pots and gold bowls and, and gold uh, furniture, but there's also jars of clay that people pee and poop in in the middle of the night, the chamber pot. Do you know what a gos the gospel can do? The gospel can take an old chamber pot and turn it into the finest gold pottery, uh, gilded solid gold pitcher or whatever that you ever could see. Folks, that's amazing. But it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that does it. It's the blood of Jesus that does it. It makes you just as if you had never sinned. Calvin teaches the opposite. He says that sanctification is something God does to us, completely opposite of God's word, absolutely. And I will tell you this, and this is just because I like to be balanced and specific. So. I don't know the, the purifying. So God does do it. But what Calvin teaches is that God does it irrespective and apart and even in spite of anything you can do. So sanctified happens all in one go. You set yourself apart. When you purify yourself, you are purified. There's not a process. 
Like for instance, the 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 baptism of pure of purification, the rituals rather of purification under the Jewish law, they had these mikvahs, and they would go down and, and and ceremonially ceremonially wash. Well, let's say it took you five minutes to ceremonially wash. You didn't start at zero percent purified and gradually go up to one hundred percent purified in the five minutes. Whenever you were through with the ritual, you were 100% purified, and it went from zero to 100 in one step. So that's the same way with sanctification. We are sanctified holy, set apart, cleansed, holy, spiritually, to the Lord. We go from 0% to 100%. And we do that through acts of obedience. That's how God works, and that's how we take responsibility. The problem with John Calvin's doctrine is regardless of what you do, God will sanctify you. Then you will have a desire to obey and you will obey. But that's only after God has uh, addled your mind and, and took away your free will and plied you with some kind of magic formula to make you do what he says. The Calvinists say that's, That's how God works, not in those words. Now, yeah, so this chapter here, 1 John chapter 3, 1 through 3, begins with a reflection on the immense love God has shown in calling believers his children. This designation as children of God is not merely a title. Sorry, I'm having a hard time getting situated here. It's not merely a title, but it's a reality that has future implications. Namely, that believers will be like Christ when he appears. This hope in Christ motivates purity and righteousness in the believer's life. That's that hope. Because of the hope that when we appear, we're going to be like Jesus, then we are going to live a certain way because we want to live up to the standard that was set, all right? So let's go to John chapter 3, 4 through 10 and deal with sin, righteousness, and the children of God. And I'm going to read all all the verses. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take our sins away, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of Man was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of God, and the children of devil, rather. Whosoever whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Folks, this is pretty simple here. Now check this out. Here's that language again. Whosoever abideth in him, that's fellowship, sinneth not. 
whosoever sinneth hath not seen him nor known him. That's fellowship. All right, so we're talking about walking in the light as he is in the light, and we're talking about sin. If I slip, trip, and fall, and I get up and I keep walking, I have never come out of the fellowship. I am still known and am known of God. Well, Tony, slipping and tripping and falling, that's committing a sin. Yep. But that's a one-time act. That's not an ongoing habit. Let me read this. Let me, let me read it like this. Listen to this. Whosoever commits and keeps on committing sin transgresses and keeps on transgressing also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abides and keeps on abiding in him sins and keeps on sinning not. Whosoever sins and keeps on sinning hath not seen him, neither hath known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does and keeps on doing righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. He that commits and keeps on committing sin is of the devil. For the devil started sinning and has kept on sinning from the beginning. For, the, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed began, began and keeps on remaining in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Folks, let me explain this. And this is going to be hard to understand. And there are some that would call me a false teacher for this. There are some that say, well, Tony, you're being light on sin. If you're walking in the light as he is in the light, and if you're striving towards the goal, and if you're doing your best, and you have an impulse that you don't control properly, and you tell a lie, and then you immediately are like, oh, man, that was a sin. I shouldn't have done it. And you repent towards God. You make it right with the person you've harmed then effectually you haven't committed a sin. That's what John is talking about. You see, if the seed is abiding in you, you cannot sin. A one-time slip and trip, is not, it's not going to be counted. There's no condemnation. The devil can't use that lie that I talked about as a condemnation to separate you from God. Because nobody can lay a charge at the feet of God's elect, for there is therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The difference is, if you sin and keep on sinning, then you are not known, you haven't seen God, you're not known of God, and, God, and, and, you're, and you don't know God, because you've sinned and you've kept on sinning. Then it's a different story. Then you have exercised your free moral agency to turn your back on God and come out of the flow of blood. So you have an impulse, you lie, then it dawns on you that you sinned, and your mind is like, well, I don't care. I'm, I'm not going to correct it. I'm not going to repent of it. And in fact, I'm going to keep doing it. Then you are of your father, the devil, because he was a liar from the beginning. He was a sinner from the beginning, 
and he's kept on sinning. And God does not abide in you, and you do not abide in, abide in God. If you are abiding in God, you cannot sin. And I think that's figurative. And there's two, really, there's two ways to interpret it. It's figurative, and you cannot be guilty of sin. It's a figurative way of saying that. Or it's literal, and we need to understand the word cannot as a prohibition. So like if I tell my children, hey, children, you can go out in the backyard and play, but you cannot go in the front yard and stay out here and play. Anybody got a problem with that? Do you think my children are not able to go into the front yard? Do you think the fact that my children are able to go into the front yard negates their being in the backyard? No, but tell you, tell you what, if they go into the front yard, then they've got to come in. They can't be outside to play. But if they stay in the backyard, then as long as they stay in the backyard, they can be outside and play. Now, you got to be careful. You can't push the illustration too far because there's no analog to, well, Tony, how could they actually go into the front yard and come back to the backyard and still be able to stay out and play? You can't really do that because it's, it's apples to oranges as far as the illustration goes. I suppose you could say, well, so let's say they're playing ball. And let's say that my son throw or my daughter throws to my son and my son misses the ball and it bounces into the front yard. So they run over there to get the ball and they run back. They haven't violated my command to stay in the backyard and play and don't go play in the front yard. He did go to the front yard, but he didn't go to get it. He didn't go to play. He went to get his ball. So again, you got to be careful how far illustrations don't prove anything. They just illustrate. And the only thing that illustration illustrates is the fact of how to interpret the word cannot in light of 1 John chapter 3. If you're abiding in Christ, you cannot sin, as in you're disallowed. God says, hey, you can't sin and abide in Christ. And the, and the context is you can't sin and keep on sinning. Because if you do sin and it's an impulse and it's not continual action, then according to God, you've never sinned because the blood of Jesus washed it away as soon as it happened. All right, let me, how can we, too be, how can we be in two places at once? We are either walking in the light or in darkness. That's a pretty fair question, Rusty Kirby. Uh, retort, well, you know what? I'm not going to insult anybody's intelligence as to voice an answer. Y'all know the answer. Also, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 is misapplied as well without considering the context as well as the verses. Yeah, also Romans chapter 7 about being a wretch that I am. Paul was talking about being a wretch while he was under the law of Moses. And some call us continual cleansers uh, and say we are teaching false doctrine. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had a run in with some guys in the We Talk Truth group, I, you know, I don't want to get a ruckus started, but I mean, I I just about call their names, and I mean, these guys, they're popular in the brotherhood a little bit, not not much, but a little bit. Um, they'll be uh, called to, I mean, they'll speak on some lectureships and stuff like that. I think they even speak at PTP, and they they do not hold to what I'm teaching. They think that. By God in heaven, if you sin, you're out of fellowship, and you're not in fellowship until you pray and get back. So I'm like, if I die, did I sin last or did I pray last? 
you know? So that being the case, um, oh, right here. Yeah. There's uh Connie Barden says there's a big problem or that's a big problem with those who think they can continue to live in adultery after being baptized. You can't continue in that sin and be right with God says Connie Barden. And I'll say, so says the Bible. So says John three, you cannot, it is disallowed. It's not, well, okay. Not only is it disallowed, but it's also impossible. I've kind of changed my thinking over the years, and I just think it's impossible. That's it. I think that's what First John 3 is saying. I used to be staunchly uh, teaching that this was a figure of speech and this, that, and the other, but I think a Christian who has a momentary lapse in judgment and then immediately repents of it, then that person never sinned. That, that person never sinned. I think that's what John is talking about. And I'll use the lie. You know, if you, if you have an impulse, you tell a lie, and, and, and you, well, man, it was terrible. I mean, then you make it right, then you haven't sinned. Um, we've got, as Christians, we've got to get out of the sin business, though. We've got to understand that we don't, we don't have to sin. Did you know that? Man, I've told people that, and they have so much trouble with it. I'm like, do you realize it's probably been four or five days since I've committed a sin? Think about that. Well, it's been four or five or six days since I've committed a sin. And so there are people that are just uncomfortable with that. They think you got to sin every day. I sin here. I sin there. I just, you know, if I, I walk forward, I sin. I turn around and I sin. Again, it reminds me of that character on that show, uh, Can't Get Right. And that, that, that caused me to lose faith. That caused me to be apostate when I was growing up. I was like, well, if this is the case, then who can, who can make it to heaven? Hey, brother, I think about Romans 6, 12. Sin is not reigning in our bodies when we stumble or lapse. Absolutely. And in fact, Romans 6, the entirety of the chapter, it, you know what? It may be tomorrow's podcast we exegete Romans 6. Because Romans 6 gives the formula for living a life where sin doesn't reign in your body. You don't lend your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Rather, according to Paul in Romans 6, you lend your members as instruments of godliness or righteousness. And back to, back to, the, back to this comment here from Rusty Kirby. Back, there it is. Back to this comment from Rusty Kirby. Can we be in two places at once? We are either walking in light or darkness. Can you be doing two things at once? You're either doing righteousness or you're doing unrighteousness. Oh, I think about sowing the seed. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth unto his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth unto the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Some lessons to garner from that passage. Number one, we all sow. Number two, we're going to reap. Number three, we're going to reap way more than we sow. Number four, you're either sowing to the flesh or you're sowing to the spirit. You have to choose. You cannot do both. It is impossible to do both. You're either going to reap life everlasting or you're going to reap destruction, damnation. An eternity in hell. Folks, that's what 1 John 3, 4 through 10 
is discussing walking in the light. And although we have momentary lapses of judgment, although we slip, trip, and fall, we still haven't sinned because sin isn't reigning in our mortal body because according to the law that we're under, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who walk in Christ Jesus. But if you step out of Christ Jesus, then that's where all the, deno- all the, all the denomination, that's a Freudian slip if ever there was one, that's where all the damnation or condemnation is. So, 1 John 3, 4 through 10, righteousness in the children of God. John discusses the incompatibility of sin with being born of God. The passage stresses that those who continue in sin neither know God nor have seen him. In contrast, those that are born of God practice righteousness and cannot keep on sinning because they are born of God. This section underlines the ethical transformation expected in believers, a change that reflects the new identity in Christ. Our hope is living and not a maybe. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith. Um, Hold on a second. Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. Now, um, interestingly enough, there is a flower called an amaranth. Beautiful flower. It's blood red. In fact, you can get a, they're called blood amaranth. The Greek word for this fading not away is amaranth. And it is in juxtaposition to the glory of God, to the glory of man, which is as grass. Man, uh, man and his glory is as grass, which withers and vanishes away. But we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Folks, God changes us from an old piece of crab grass out here in the field and we change into a beautiful amaranth forever stained by blood. You think it won't preach? you got another thing coming. If we stumble and correct the action and ask forgiveness, then we are walking right before God. We may have to accept the consequences of the actions, and I think that's where we trip up. It's just my thought. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Let me, let's clarify. About the the about what I said earlier about this lie, if I if I have an impulse to tell a lie, and then I'm like, oh man, that's not like me. I shouldn't have done that. Oh dear Father, please forgive me of that sin. I'm going to go right now and make it right with John Exum because I lied to him and I told him that I was going to be sending him a thousand dollars. And you know what? I can't send him a thousand dollars and. Quite frankly, he's going to be making plans based on that. And if I don't tell him quick, he's going to be damaged because of my life. So I've sinned against you, Father. I've sinned against John. All right, so I call up John. John, I've got to repent. I've sinned against you. Well, Tony, what'd you do? I lied to you. I can't. I, I told you I could send you $1,000. I can't. I know you need it. I hope you haven't made too many plans. And uh, hopefully it doesn't harm you too bad. And whatever I can do, I'm going to try to make it up. Folks, if that's how that goes, you've never sinned. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who walk in Christ Jesus. There has never been a point in that whole process where there's been any condemnation. Who could condemn you? And with what charge would they condemn you? And what charge would they bring in a court of law? Now, if I said, you know what, John, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a thousand dollars, and then I ghost him. There's now condemnation because I, as Gita has said, left the light. Is lying a great sin before God? Why, yes. These six things the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. Proverbs chapter six. One of them is a lying tongue. Yeah, a lie is egregious. And one of the reasons a lie is so egregious is because it usurps God off of the throne of creation. So, I mean, it's bad. It is bad. Yeah, but read read those six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. Hands that shed innocent blood, feet that are swift to run to mischief, a lying tongue, those that bear false witness against the brethren. And there's two more. Well, I, I go read it. All right. So, um, uh-oh, let me hide this comment here. I've had, I've had Rusty Kirby on blast for the last 10 minutes. All right. Now, hopefully, hopefully we got that section. Now, let's go to 16 through 18. Hereby perceive we the love of God. And incidentally, this isn't an exegesis of every single verse. I'm trying to hit the high point because we don't have two or three hours to do this. If I haven't covered something, y'all put it in the comments and, and I'll get to it at the end. All right. So whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now, folks, this is, I'm, I, I know I said I was going to read all of this. Let me, whosoever hateth his brother, this is a metaphor. Who, uh, whoso hateth his brother is a murderer. Well, he's not really a murderer, but he is like a murderer. So that's a, that's a simile. So he's compared to a murderer. Well, why? Well, probably because there's not much separation metaphysically. Now, listen to it. Starting in verse uh, 16, we're going to go, oh, excuse me, no, 11 through 15. My bad. I skipped a section, didn't I? Um, oh, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, not, not applying to a Christian? Why, sure, that's the, first off, that's the old covenant. Um, I, I can't remember exactly how it reads. I don't have an Old Testament with me. Hold on a second. I'll go back there. Um, Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Rather, is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Yeah, that's speaking directly to the children of Israel. Um now, it is the case that our sins and iniquities separate us from God, but, I mean, what do you mean that it cannot hear about his ear? So, so God has hid his face 
and he will not hear. Are you thinking that's talking about actual hearing, like I'm hearing myself talk right now? Or do you think it's talking about listening and obeying? Basically, the children of Israel sinned to the point where they came out of fellowship with God, and the only thing that's going to bring them back into fellowship with God is actions, getting back right in their actions. In other words, God is telling them, you've begged me to be back in fellowship enough. I've listened to you enough. Now you're going to have to start listening to me. Here's what you got to do. This is what you've got to do. All right. And he says, you know, but you're, uh, for your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongues have muted, per, uh, muttered pervertness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleaseth for truth. They hatch cockatrice eggs and weave spiders' webs. Their webs are not become, the, the, their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their feet run to evil, the way of the peace they know not. Therefore, their judgment, therefore, is judgment far from us, neither doth justice overtake us. We wait for light, and behold, we grope for the wall. We roar like a bear, for our transgressions are multiplied before us. So, verse 14, judgment's turned away backward, justice standeth afar off. Read, read the entire chapter. It's speaking of the children of Israel, and God is saying, look, you're, you're going to have to mend your ways. I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm not looking at you anymore. I'm donezo. You're donezo. Change, and things are going to be bad. You know you're going to be hauled off into captivity. You know you're getting taken to the proverbial woodshed. Oh, some use Isaiah 59 too and say just one sin is out of the light. Yeah, there's nothing you can do to say that. I mean, well, okay. Well, so let's steel man this. Let's, let's give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. All right. That's unrepentant iniquities. If they, that's the whole point of the chapter. If they would repent of their iniquities, they're still going to be hauled off into captivity. But if they would repent of their iniquities, well, guess what? They wouldn't be separated from God. Yes, Isaiah 59 is about apostasy. I should have used that English word to begin with. Isaiah 59 is about apostasy. Isaiah 59 is the person who is not walking in the light, but has exercised his free moral agency to turn around and leave. All right, good stuff. Now, I skipped a whole section. Let me read 11 through 15. For this is the message, for this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Marvel not, my children, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whoso hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So the idea is you can't hate your brother and be in fellowship with God because you're on par with a murderer. This is love is a fundamental Christian ethic. Everything should be driven by love. The message that we, the message that we have heard from the beginning, love one another. 
folks. It is purported that towards the end of his life, John, after he was uh, removed from the island of Patmos, retired to the city of Ephesus upon or, or in uh, uh, during those days and at the end of his life, he was laid on a cot and he was dragged on a cot to the service, the worship service, and he would stand before the congregation propped up on a cane and he would preach a three-point sermon. Little children, love one another, love one another, love one another. Folks, if you got love one another down, everything else is going to fall into place. That's how important it is. If you have hate, you're going to be in hell. If you, if you, if you have love, you're going to be in heaven. Broadly speaking, you're going to have it down. Things are going to work out. When your brother comes to you and you've been overtaken in a fault, you're going to have love in your heart and you're going to take it for what it is. And you're going to use your brother to help and have him help you to change. Whenever you or whenever your brother commits a fault, you're going to go to him in love and love is going to rule the day. When your brother or when your enemy or when a stranger is in the hospital, you're going to, or, or in, in prison, you're going to visit them. Whenever they're sick, you're going to mend them. Whenever they're in need, you're going to take care of them. Whenever they're hungry, you're going to feed them. Whenever they're thirsty, you're going to give them drink, so on and so forth. Love is going to rule the day. Hereby, all right, well, hold on a second. That's not right. I was saying, hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. That's not the one. In John, well, Tony, all right. Let me do this. Jesus' disciples being known by love of one another. Gospel of John. That's terrible. I can't call that to mind. By this, everyone shall know you are my disciples indeed, if you have love one for another. I got it now. We cooking with hot butter. All right. Let me go back to my little note here. All right, let me let me go through this and figure out if there's anything I need to say. Oh, listen, check out verse 12. I want to bring this out. Don't love as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. This is an iceberg statement. Slew. The word slew here in the Greek paints a picture of a very grisly crime scene where there's blood and and flesh and bone fragments scattered all over the room. I mean, it looks like a slaughterhouse. This was a crime of passion. So contemptual, so um, disgusted, so jealous was um, Cain of Abel that evidently he didn't just kill him in the field and kind of you know, whack him over the head with a rock or anything. He killed him and it was, it was huge. Like it was a crime of passion. Like if he'd had a knife, he'd have been stabbed 137 times. I mean, he, he didn't just whack your dead and it was clean and saccharine. No, it was, it was brutal. And that's what, that's what anger does. That's what contempt and covetousness does. Jealousy. 
Now, there's some assurance here in verse 13. Don't marvel that the world hates you. You know that you've passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And whoso hate his brother is a murderer. Folk, we don't act like the world. The world is going to hate us, and we have to love our brother. That's walking in the light. And Jesus is trying to let us know. John, rather, is trying to let us know up front, look, if you do this, the world's going to despise you. Now, John 3, 11 through 15, love is a fundamental Christian ethic. Love is presented as a message heard from the beginning. John contrasts the love believers should have one another with the example of Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. The passage suggests that the failure to love is akin to walking in darkness, indicative of spiritual death. Folks, pretty simple. Pretty simple. Just let love control everything. And John didn't use light. He said, is a murderer, the one who hated his brother. Yes, but it's still a metaphor. It's still a metaphor. And uh, so you're you're not technically a murderer whenever you hate your brother. Um, but but you are like a murderer. You are, it's a metaphor. And I tell you, I guess you could say you are a murderer, and the person you murder is your own soul. That's something to something to think about. So let's talk about love in action. 1 John chapter 3, 16 through 18. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word or deed, or let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. No, not a dead relationship. If you hate your brother, you are dead. Notice this. Um, in this, the children of God are manifest. And Oh, that's verse 10. Hold on. Um, we know, verse 14, that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. So if you love your brother, you've passed from death to life. So you're the opposite of a murderer. If you hate your brother, you've you've you have went from death to, or from life to death, which is a murderer. Who have you killed? Well, who 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 is under consideration in the context? Me. From my perspective, if I'm reading this, the individual. So if if I practice love, I'm assured of my spiritual life. But if I practice hate, then I have murdered my own soul. That's rough. That's brutal. I don't like it. I'm going to make sure to love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to make sure to love my brethren. I'm going to make sure to love my enemies. So I don't want to murder my own soul. A little bit of self-preservation there, but I don't care. I think God understands. Now, uh, back to the back to the section of scripture, thirteen through eight or sixteen through eighteen. Check this out. How do we perceive the love of God? Well, how is it manifest? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In this manner is what that word so means. For God so loved the world. For God in this manner loved the world. How was the love of God manifest? He sent his son to die on the cross. God laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Folks. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. What if during the time of the Roman persecution, your family was caught and they said, listen, I know you meet with a group of 20 other people and I know you meet in the sewer somewhere. You're going to tell us where. You're going to take us to where that meeting is. Well, what are you going to do when you get to the meeting? We're going to arrest everybody there and we're going to take them along with you and kill them. Or we're going to take them and kill them. We're going to let you go free. According to this passage of Scripture, what do you do? Will you lay down your life for your brethren? You say, I'm not giving them up. You mean to tell me you're willing to die? What's this reason for the hope that is in you? I've been baptized, chopped my head off. Mm. Gita about mur- the murdering part, she says, brutal, but true. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of truth is brutal. So how would that, how would that manifest today? Lay down the life for your brethren. Lay down your life for the brethren. You you gotta you gotta sacrifice of yourself. You gotta give of yourself. So often we have a, a consumer mentality around the Lord's church. What can the church do for me? What has the church done for me lately? Give of yourself first. I promise you, if you start giving of yourself, if you start laying down your life for the brotherhood you will find that you are in a, an amazing relationship indeed. All right. <clears throat> so we have love in action. The love of God is exemplified in Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. John exhorts believers to show not only love in words, but in deeds and in truth. This practical aspect of love is a defining characteristic of those who know God. And I forgot to say, there's an ellipsis here. My little children, let us not love in word only, neither in tongue only, but in deed and in truth. In other words, I'm not going to say, well, Gita, I sure love you, but yet you have a specific need that I'm able to help with, and I withhold my help. There's a formula for obligation. There is a formula for obligation. Opportunity and ability equals obligation. Opportunity plus ability equals obligation. And there's a Facebook user, I don't know their name, but, uh, and incidentally, just to be clear, uh, let me let me do this. If you'll look at your screen, when I see this, it just says Facebook user. So I am so glad you're commenting 
but that's why I don't call your name, so I don't know who you are. Uh, so true. Just like you have to have friends, you have to be a friend. That's the last verse of Proverbs chapter 18. A friend must show himself friendly, but there's a friend that sees closer than a brother. If you want somebody to, to have that relationship with you where you're closer than a brother, then you first have to cultivate and build that relationship. You've got to be friendly. And uh, love in action. Apply with 1 Corinthians 13. You got that right. So we don't need to love in word only or in tongue only, but in deed and in truth. So if I have a, 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 a niche skill set and I'm blessed in this world's good and I find out my sister Gita has a need and I say, well, be you warmed and filled. I'll pray for you. I love you so much. We got, we're sending well wishes your way. Okay, that's good, but you have the key to unlocking the solution to my problem, and you're not doing it. You see, I have opportunity and I have ability, and I'm withholding from my brother, or well, in this case, sister. Then the love of God doesn't dwell in me. All right. Um, 19 through 24, assurance and confidence before God. Listen to it. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. So, well, we'll just hold on. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever you ask, or we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he, shall, and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he, that, and he in him, that's fellowship, folks, and hereby we know that we abideth in us by the Spirit he hath given us. And I don't know there that the word Spirit needs to be capitalized. The Spirit in this case that God has given us, that is the mannerisms and language of God. In other words, my son, after I'm dead and gone, because I have affected his life so much, he is going to do things and exhibit things that people who know me will look at him and say, oh, boy, I see your daddy in you. Somebody one day whom I inspire to do a podcast they might one day say, and you know what? In the spirit of cogitations and Tony Brewer, we'll catch you on the flip side. I think that's what that means there. I don't think this is the Holy Spirit. I don't think it has anything to do with the indwelling. I don't think it has to do with miraculous gifts. I'm just, I think John is just communicating, look, God's given you this ability of how to act like him. As, as Second Peter mentions, we're, we've been made partakers of the divine nature. Nature is how something is. If you, if you have 
cultivated the Christian virtues, then you're going to act like God. If you believe on the name of Jesus Christ and you love one another, then you're acting the way God is acting. You, you're acting according to the spirit which God has given us. I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong. This could be talking about the Holy Spirit, and it could have a first century application that I'm missing. So there. All right. Uh, many have reached out to us since our house burned down. Many Christians have demonstrated their love to us. Absolutely. I've prayed because I'm up here in the great white north and I can't send money. That's terrible, I know. But that, but that's the thing. Like, I'm not in, and, and I'm using this as an example. <laughs> Just, anyway, um, I'm using this as an example. I'm not in sin because I didn't send a check for $500. I couldn't. We're up here and on a tight budget, and I can't work. My family now has jobs, but Labeth didn't even have a job up here whenever whenever the announcements were made that the Stafford's house burned down. So I'm like, we couldn't do anything, but we could pray. We could go to heaven on their behalf, so we did everything that we could. But let's say that we were multi-gajillionaires. Let's say we had, well, let's say we were like Mr. Beast on YouTube, and we had somewhere around 20 to $50 million a month coming in. Why, David would have a brand new house fully outfitted if I had that much money coming in. Why? Because it's no skin off my back. How much, What if I spent, if I had $20 million a month coming in, what if I just spent $10 million setting David up? It's no skin off my back. If I had $20 a month coming in, I may one year, although I've been critical of it, I may one year holler at what's-his-face and be like, hey, what's your total expenses for polishing the pulpit and just cut a check for it? I wish more people in the Brotherhood would do stuff like that. I know people who are very, very rich in the Brotherhood, and I wish they would do stuff like that. I wish we would follow the example of the guy that bankrolled Marshall Keeble. And let me tell you what the fellow that bankrolled Marshall Keeble said. The more money I tried to give away and the more money I tried to spend on the, the ministry of Marshall Keeble and them, the, the more money I made. I could not outgive God. It's almost like God was trying to prove a point with me. David, I, I appreciate that, and I know they were. I just, as I started down that particular excursus, I was cognizant of the fact, and, and not just a little worried, that I would come off as kind of making merchandise or, or, or reducing the terrible tragedy that happened to your family, that, went, that your family went through, uh, for simple content, I promise that's not what I was doing. I was I was trying to 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 illustrate and teach a point from scripture. So I hope I hope we're well. I, that's a stupid thing for me to say. I know we're good. If we weren't good, you'd have said something about it. Um, so this this section of scripture, the assurances and confidences before God, <clears throat> we can be confident. This section addresses assurances believers can have before God. 
If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what we and do what pleases him. The commandments are summarized as believing in the name of Jesus Christ and loving one another. Folks, let me tell you something. Christians are supposed to be like little children. They're not supposed to have such a seared conscience that they look at everything and they see sin everywhere. We're supposed to be a little bit naive, just enough that we can enjoy this world. We're supposed to be so naive that we can think that we can go to that temple and eat that meat offered to idols, and there's nothing wrong with it because we don't even think of the idol. That's how little conscience we have. It's supposed to be to the point where, oh man, I've done this and my conscience didn't even get, get my hackles up because I'm so used to God's mercy and forgiveness. Let me go make it right. And now I'm going to go on my way like nothing happened because God knows that nothing happened because I'm constantly cleansed in the blood. Folks, I think I'm going to end there. I didn't get to everything I wanted to get to, but I'm out of time. I'm hoping that this podcast, if nothing else, you have left with the encouragement to know. That's right. Eat that food and enjoy. It's usually delicious. It's just food. Eat it. And if you go to somebody's house and they say, hey, here's some food, don't say, well, where'd you get it? Did you, did, was it offered to idols? Now, if somebody comes, eh, I'm going to teach that. Clay. Look, good comment. <laughs> uh, thank you, Connie Barden. Appreciate that encouragement. She says, good lesson. So I want you to leave with an understanding and an assurance that God does not want you to fail. Believe on the name of Jesus Christ and love the brethren and everything else to take care of itself. Jameson Stewart, I have not read the article. I've only seen I only seen the um I've only seen the uh thumbnail. But the thumbnail, the article was entitled something to the effect of um emphasizing the wrong things. Uh basically there are apps there are actual false teachers that they're they're condemned but there are people who are just as dangerous as false teachers because they even though they never teach any error whatsoever they emphasize the wrong things and that makes me think of Matthew 23:23 23, 23. woe unto you scribes and pharisees you hypocrites for you pay tithe of mint anise and cumin and you leave undone the weightier matters of the law justice mercy faith these ought you to have done and not to have left the other undone. Do you focus on the minutia? Do you focus to the exclusion of the bigger things, the mint, anise, and cumin? If so, you're just as bad as a false teacher because like the Pharisees, you'll compass land and sea to make one proselyte, and you'll make them twofold more child of hell yourselves. Folks, we've got to focus on the right things. we got to pay the tithe of mint, anise, and cumin but we need to also focus on justice, mercy, and faith. 
We need to make sure we do the little things, but we also need to make sure that we believe on the name of Jesus Christ and we love the brethren. If you get those two things right, you know there's no need for you to have a guilty conscience. And by God in heaven, there's no need for you ever for the rest of your natural born life in this earth ever to be called a sinner. So don't you dare refer to yourself as a sinner because you're not, because you're walking in the light. Folks, thank you so much. God bless you. This has been Tony Brew with Cogitations. I think tomorrow we're going to do Romans chapter 6 because it goes right along with it. We're going to talk about the remedy uh, or how to keep ourselves from sinning. That's probably not going to be the title that I settle on. But tomorrow we'll do Romans chapter 6. God bless every one of you. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Subscribe. Uh, do the tip jar. Do the all that good junk. Um, thank you so much to everybody who watched. Thank you to that. I, I really have a, a hard time. I really want to call your name, but it don't tell me your name. Thank you, Facebook user. And thank you, everyone. Uh, subscribe to Cogitations on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Christianity Streams, YouTube, Substack, Rumble, and that's all I've got. God bless you, and we'll catch you on the flip side.